Hey, this is Laurie from Hike, where we share stories to inspire us to explore, wander, and live. A couple of announcements. I've started working on a new edition of Hike Magazine featuring the greater Atlanta area in North Georgia. You'll be able to order it in the next few weeks. Now let's get on with the show. This is episode 26, featuring the Ice Age Trail. When I think of the Ice Age Trail, visions of woolly mammoths and glaciers come to mind. Well, I spoke to Eric Sherman, who gave me a little more education on this National Scenic Trail and what his organization, which is the Ice Age Trail Alliance, does to promote and support it. So I am here with Eric Sherman of the Ice Age Trail Alliance today. Um, thanks for coming on, Eric. You bet. So, Eric, I guess um, first, uh, can you give me a little bit of overview of the Ice Age Trail? Sure. Um, the Ice Age Trail is a thousand-mile hiking trail in Wisconsin. We say thousand mile just to give people kind of a ballpark idea of the scope of the trail. Um, the actual route uh, is closer to around 1,200 miles, and the trail, um, we've been working on it for a long time now. Our organization, the Ice Age Trail Alliance, was founded in 1958. The trail is not cer certainly not a, a finished product. Um, we make uh, good progress every year, but currently the route is about half complete. So if you were to hike the entire trail at this point, you would be about 650 miles on established Ice Age trail segments, most of which, you know, would conform to people's idea of a, a national scenic trail hiking experience where you're in the woods, in the prairies, and, you know, outside of, uh, um, you know, more urban areas. But then there are some segments, uh, established segments of the Ice Age trail that do go right through Wisconsin communities. So it's not strictly a wilderness trail. So you're about 650 miles of those kinds of experiences. The route of the trail is marked with a yellow blaze. The remainder of uh, the trail are what we call connecting routes. Um, and that's the parts of the trail route that have not been um, developed and established yet. So those are typically gonna be along quiet country roads, um, no markings of any kind. So, you know, you'd just be following along the recommendations in our guidebooks are on our website to link those established segments. So it sounds like a, a couple of important things to note. One is um, since it is only about 650 miles of, like you said, established trail um, of the segments that you really do need to have, you can't just follow the blaze, you know, there's some unmarked sections. So it's really important to, to use the resources available to understand you know, the trail, you know, how to follow the trail in those situations where it's going along the, the um, connecting routes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a planning nerd. I can't believe that anyone would ever <laughs> go on a trail, uh, you know, without every single book and app and uh, uh, website tool available. Uh, but, you know, some people do, you know, just kind of wing it. Uh, but yeah, you, you'd be stuck uh, if you just tried to follow trail markings because those, as I mentioned, those connecting routes typically don't have any markings. Or also just saying, well, it's a thousand miles, but really it's 1200. So <laughs> you have a, you definitely need to, to know where you're going. It sounds like on this trail. So tell me a little bit about, let's see, where uh, are the terminus between, you know, each section? So where, where does mm -hmm. the general start? 
Yeah. Um, people in western Wisconsin like to say it starts in western Wisconsin, and people in eastern Wisconsin like to say it ends in western Wisconsin. So uh, <laughs> starting or ending, flip a coin. Um, Potawatomi State Park uh, in Door County, which is in kind of northeast central Wisconsin. Um, Door County is a real popular tourist area, so a lot of people um, know about that. That's that's the eastern end, and then on the western end, uh, on the Minnesota Wisconsin border, is that Interstate State Park uh, near a small city called Saint Croix Falls. Have you found that uh, some people each year are actually doing the entire length of the trail at once? Yeah, it's um, it's skyrocketing in popularity actually. Um, our, the first person to do the entire route was in 1979. And then for the first, uh, I want to say for the first 30 years, uh, I believe we had around 50 people do it, uh, the entire trail. That's not all necessarily through hikers. That's also a lot of, actually the majority is section hikers. So people doing it in bits and pieces over mm -hmm. a longer period of time. But it took us about 30 years to get to 50, and then in the ensuing um, uh, 10 years, we've had um, 100, coming up on 150 more. Um, oh wow! So the pace is really, really picking up um, dramatically. And I, I haven't, I haven't asked around, you know, to our fellow National Scenic Trail administrators, um, but I think that's probably part of a larger trend of of increasing popularity of doing these these long distance hikes. But yeah, we're definitely feeling it here uh, on the Ice Age Trail um, in terms of the interest in people um, treating it as a whole and, and doing that as kind of a fun personal project. Well, I think, you know, for many years, you know, the big three, you know, the Continental Divide Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and the um, Appalachian Trail, of course, have gotten a lot of attention. But I, you know, from what I'm hearing out there is, you know, more people are interested in than going on some of the lesser known trails or just, you know, having a different experience and, and even a more, um, I guess, personal experience, you know, maybe, I guess, less number of hikers out there and, and so on. Mm -hmm. So you're just really having that, you know, personal journey and experience with nature. Um, so that's one thing that could be uh, part of it. But then also, like you said, there is a general trend upward in both just the awareness of doing, you know, long distance hikes and the number of people who I see, who I see out there doing them. Um, it's just yep. definitely, you know, more, more popular. So, you know, so yes, it's, it's good to get the, the number of people on the trail, but have you also seen some challenges because of that, of, of the increased uh, number on the trail? Um, I would say no, and um, I think, I, so I read all of the, um, I'm, I'm the person who kind of maintains our, our database of, of thousand milers and, and has the interactions with those folks in terms of, you know, certification, quote unquote, and so I read all the applications that come through, and it's kind of a consistent theme of, and especially from people from other parts of the country, of how nice it was to basically have the place to yourself. Oh yeah. Um, you know, so I, you know, I, you know, read articles about uh, AT or, or Pacific Crest Trail hikers, and it's just a totally different experience of kind of moving with these packs of people who join up with you, then drop drop off, and and you know, coming to a shelter at the end of the day and finding 20 people. Um, 
<laughs> that is like the farthest thing from the Ice Age Trail experience at this point in the trail's development. It's, you know, you're going to go for days, you know, possibly even weeks sometimes without seeing uh, another distance hiker. You may see some day hikers here and there. But, um, yeah, so uh, I think that is a real attraction for some people that um, you, it really is. Uh, as with this increasing popularity of long-distance hiking, you know, it's probably getting harder and harder to find places where you, you really are out there to to kind of be by yourself now not in terms of the uh, of the challenge to to the organization necessarily but in terms of for the hiker the other thing to know if you were thinking of doing this entire trail is that um, the downside of you know kind of this halfway point in our development is that um, we have a long ways to go in terms of places to camp each night for our long distance hikers Wisconsin has kind of a structural disadvantage in that, you know, we're not, there, there's a lot of national forest in the northern part of the state and, and the trails northern tier certainly um, passes through some of that. But southern Wisconsin generally, um, not just for the Ice Age Trail, southern Wisconsin generally has very limited dispersed camping uh, opportunities. So if you are going to come hike the entire Ice Age Trail, you need to be have low expectations in terms of how you're going to find your camping each night. It's not, you know, there's not a shelter every 10 miles. There's not a uh, dispersed camping area every 10 miles. We're working very hard to address that and we're making a lot of good progress. We have this program called dispersed camping areas where in parts of the state where there otherwise isn't any legal camping option, we we work with the, the managing authority of, of the local um, trail segment and find an out of the way place where we can just put up a post and say, if you're a long distance hiker, you're, you're welcome to camp here legally. So, yeah. So the upside is, you know, a lot, lot of, a uh, lot of uh, um, places where you're going to have the trail segment to yourself. The downside is you got to hustle a little more in terms of finding uh, your camping spot each night. So I'm from Michigan. So um, I know how tough, like, Michigan winters can be sometimes. So it's kind mm -hmm. of similar to, you know, Wisconsin there. But so are you finding is, um, you know, when typically is the through hiking season? Or are so there some people who are, are toughing it out and doing it during the wintertime? We've had one uh, who did uh, a real true through hike in winter, but certainly not becoming <laughs> a, a trend yet. And then there, I wouldn't even really say there's a season uh, you know, the way there is on the AT, for instance, for, for through hikers. Yeah, there's just not enough people to say that, okay, you know, clearly this is this is the, the strategy for when to do it. You know, I I tend to be a little bit sensitive to people's expectations um, about hiking in the in the thick of summer. Um, and so if someone were to call me and say, when is a good time to do this, I would kind of steer people away from that. Um, just because the bugs and the humidity mm -hmm. um, can be a real challenge here in Wisconsin. You know, even though if you're from the south, you might think, Wisconsin, that's cold. No, <laughs> it gets it gets hot and muggy here in the summer. So I would generally steer people toward like a, um, a mid-September, you know, kind of into November uh, time frame. We do have, you know, real popular hunting seasons that fire up in, in kind of mid uh mid to late November. So you'd want to cut things off ahead of that. 
but fall fall is a, a very comfortable time to be out there. Um, early and a spring, beautiful time. Can be, but uh, yeah, beautiful. But uh, you know, just um, you know, as the winter snow is melting and and things like that, and the ground is thawing out. It can be pretty pretty wet as well. So that that's the problem in spring. So what about from, like you said, a lot of people are just out there doing um, day hikes on the trail or weekends or, or deciding to tackle it one section at a time. Are there um, certain segments of the trail that you think uh, you would recommend for someone who wants to just get a taste of kind of what the Ice Age Trail um, can offer? Yeah, well, Wisconsin, one of our most popular state parks is called Devil's Lake um, State Park, and it's a pretty short drive from the Madison area, um, not too bad from Milwaukee or even Chicago. And that, you know, it's one of our most popular parks for a reason. Um, it's, you know, as far as Wisconsin goes, it's pretty dramatic scenery. And there are many miles of the Ice Age Trail uh, that go through the park. And so we actually have all sorts of people hiking the Ice Age Trail there who probably don't even know they're on the Ice Age Trail or, you know, weren't necessarily intending to, to set out to hike it. Um, so that's a really wonderful segment that uh, is one of the first places I'd point people toward. If you want to go farther north in Wisconsin, where it really is a, a much different experience than, you know, parts of the trail and the southern, southern tier, near uh, Eau Claire, there is a wonderful area called the Chippewa Moraine. And um, it might not impress you uh, being from Michigan, but uh, the number of lakes in that area is, is really unique. And so you're just um, traversing this segment of trail where you're just kind of navigating from one water peninsula <laughs> or, or uh, isthmus, I guess you call it, from between two lakes. Then you it opens up for a little while, and then you come across the shoreline of another lake and wind around that and then pick up... Uh, the shoreline of another lake. So um, that's a really fun experience. The segments of the Ice Age Trail in the Shawamigan National Forest, which is in north central Wisconsin, uh, have some very scenic spots. And again, um, any of those kind of along the trails northern tier where, where you're, the trail's on kind of an east-west orientation uh, over to the Minnesota border, that's where you're going to find the, um, some very remote um, segments and also very pretty. So you talked about definitely being prepared as a hiker when you're out there. Um, what kind of resources has the Ice Age Trail Alliance uh, been able to put together? What, what are, uh, what's your organization doing to, to help hikers, I guess, of any, um, any length of time, you know, whether you're just going out there mm -hmm. for um, a few hours or um, several days or weeks? Yeah. So I mentioned this big spike in popularity or interest in people doing the whole trail. Um, and I see kind of a turning point around 2004. And uh, I've had a role in the, the publication of several editions of our guidebooks. So I'm kind of predisposed to think this way. But <laughs> I feel like once we started doing good um, whole trail guidebooks, uh, that's uh, really helped fuel the interest in hiking the Ice Age Trail. Um, so yeah, pre-2004, we, we had like map sets, but they were, they were kind of a, on a, a a la carte basis. And so then um, in 2004, we did the first edition of the uh, 
Ice Age Trail Atlas, which is maps. And then um, we filed, or excuse me, that was 2004 was our first guidebook, which is kind of descriptions of, of each segment. 2005 is when we did the first atlas, which is maps. And then uh, more recently, we update those books every three years. More recently, we started adding map excerpts to the guidebook um, as well. Um, so that's been a, become a little more um, full treatment. So we have the atlas, we have the guidebook. We are um, doing something now called the data book, which is really geared toward long distance hikers. And then, uh, as I mentioned, we do have a app for mobile devices that is available um, through uh, Guthook Guides, G-U-T-H-O-O-K. And then just in the last year, we've unveiled uh, a really fantastic mapping tool uh, just on our website. And um, you can uh, you can zoom into whatever segment you're interested in hiking and print off a map from there. So the 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 resources that we have available now compared to you know say 20 years ago uh, is really night and day. Yeah, and definitely the app uh, piece is really important because a lot of people are relying on the apps. Although I tend to believe you still need to have that backup. Um, right. you know, having yeah. the, the printed version or, you know, knowing what to do in case uh, that piece fails. So on yeah. these um, different resources, do you have things like, you know, where you can camp, where you can find water, uh, different different um, uh, tools like that? Yeah. So the guidebook, which is kind of, I would say that's our main main resource that is geared not not um, not. Uh, it doesn't totally sell long distance hikers short. It is geared a little more toward day hikers, mm -hmm. um, but because it has excerpts from Ice Age Trail Atlas maps, um, the Atlas does use uh, a particular style of shading uh, to indicate where dispersed camping is permitted. It does uh, call out um, water, uh, potable water resources, uh, restrooms, things like that. So. So you'll get some of that in the guidebook uh, maps and then um, in the segment descriptions themselves, uh, it calls out resources like that. And then as I mentioned, the data book is gonna have a like a, a very um, you know fine detail breakdown of the mileages, point to point mileages. Um, so if you're really needing to know, you know, when is it 5.4 miles to that next road crossing or 7.2, things like that, that, that's what you'll get out of the data book. So yeah, definitely trying to um, do all we can to help the long distance hikers. And, you know, as I mentioned before, because the, the camping situation is not what it is on a lot of other long distance trails, you know, we understand that. And so we do list, you know, what your best bet is on each particular segment in terms of finding a place to spend the night. So you talked to also a little bit about kind of the areas and the the pieces of the trail that, you know, you'd recommend uh, for people maybe just wanting to get some experience of it. Um, is there a particular favorite that you have? I am partial to some segments in uh, Wapaka County, which is in Portage County, uh, which is in north central Wisconsin. Uh, I have family up there, so I just spent a lot of time on those segments with uh, family that has, has been really enjoyable. It's a little more, it's it's the farthest south north woodsy feeling place mm -hmm. uh, in the state, I would say. So 
so you're not driving that quite as far north, but you're still getting the feel of, of kind of that more northwoods landscape and land cover. But uh, yeah, more recently, it's just been all about being out there with my kids. Uh, I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, and so the place has not become as important as just the experience and and um, and being out there with them and watching them, you know, experience this this kind of instinctual pull <laughs> down the trail from one from one uh, trail marking to the next. It's so fun to to see that. So we've been, you know, just because of time constraints, um, spending a lot of time on the segments um, just around our home here in, in the Madison area. But uh, it, it's it's hard to, I guess at this point, it's hard to pick a favorite, favorite. but it's also hard to, it's hard to say that I've ever had one where I was just like totally disappointed, you know. Mm -hmm. that, that, so, so yeah, um, it, it's it's a variety. You know, speaking of kind of bringing youth up um, on the trail and exposing that next generation to the trail and all the benefits that it provides, I know that uh, the ICH Trail Alliance also has a program uh, for youth um, and educating them called, I think it's called Saunters, right? Mm -hmm. So tell me, tell the listeners a little bit about um, that program and um, what it's doing for, you know, the next generation. Uh, well, um, Luke Cloberdance is now a coworker of mine, but uh, a few years back he was a teacher at an elementary school, and um, he was looking for a way to get kids out on the Ice Age Trail, and um, so he started this program called Summer Saunters, where these kids who were otherwise in summer school would, instead of sitting at a desk, would take field trips to Ice Age Trail segments, some close by, some some a little further afield, and um, still be learning. So, you know, experiential education and learning about Wisconsin's landscape and environment and, and what the Ice Age Trail is and what glaciers are and were and um, how they affected the state. And that was, uh, that was the first program, and then it's just kind of grown since. So we're north of uh, 2,000 participants a year now who are doing these kinds of activities. And I, th I believe it's around 20 uh, school districts in Wisconsin that we're partnering with. So it's just a really neat um, thing to have watched this program grow and uh, have a lot of success with, with getting kids out there because um, I know that's a high priority for so many trail organizations across the country. So, yeah, for me, I mean, if I was in summer school, I definitely would love to be outside rather than inside a very hot, <laughs> hot building. Right. As we know that at least, you know, maybe more schools have air conditioning now. But when I was in school, I don't think we had right. that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, no, it's it's great. And to have that learning component, it's, it's even better because, you know, you're out there, but they're also being hands on and really um, getting to know history and geology and, and all the things that, you know, come along with that. Yeah. And I should also mention that um, they are they, they're doing some service learning projects as well. So um, getting involved with our volunteers who are otherwise helping to build and maintain the trail. Um, so they get a, a peek at, at what it's like to to be lending a hand on a volunteer project. Um, which is really cool. The Ice Age Trail is largely built and maintained by volunteers. Um, we had 81,999 
hours uh, last oh, year. Wow. And that is the, um, let's see, I think we're at the sixth straight year of being uh, above um, 70,000 hours. So, you know, effectively the, the, the contribution of like 40 full-time employees um, worth of volunteer time uh, to help the Ice Age Trail. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about how people are volunteering because uh, that's a lot of hours. So what are some ways that you have, you know, what are some different ways that people can volunteer and, and help uh, work on the trail? Yeah, so we have 20 volunteer chapters uh, along the trails route. And those are the folks who are really raising awareness in their local communities uh, about the trail and leading group hikes uh, periodically and uh, hikeathons and fun runs and things like that. Um, also, most of the trail maintenance day-to-day uh, -day is carried out by volunteers who are organized through our chapters. Um, so a lot of that work not not exclusively, but often can be done by people who are just in in like a chapter's like a trail adopter program, where they're just out there on their own, um, checking out a segment on a weekend, uh, or actually pushing the mower, or you know, to, out there with the the um, the loppers, um, cutting brush back from the trail. So that's a that's a huge part of of uh, how we raise awareness and build support for the trail in communities uh, around the state, but also keep the trail uh, in good shape for users. Since the early 2000s, we started a, a program called um, Mobile Skills Crew, and that has kind of evolved into the main trail building uh, program for volunteers. And that's uh, by and large organized out of our office, headquarters office here. And so there we typically have about a half dozen very large scale group projects uh, each season where over the course of say a four or five day weekend um, we're bringing in 75, 100, 200, even 300 people um, from the local area but also from areas far beyond and uh, that's uh, when we acquire some property or an easement where now it's time to build a new segment where there hadn't been one previously or there's a, an old segment that really needs to be um, rehabilitated or totally rerouted, then we'll have these large-scale events where we get these big groups of people in and we have a, a crew leader training certification program. Um, so we'll get people broken out into groups who are led by these, typically it's volunteers themselves, who are certified to do the crew leading and, and uh, skills trainings. And then uh, that's how we... Uh, by and large are building new segments these days. So if I come in with um, no experience, uh, would there be an opportunity through this mobile skills crew? Are you, are you teaching people, you know, from, you know, ground up? Yeah, absolutely. Whether you, you show up at a chapter meeting or a chapter workday or a mobile skills crew project, nobody should ever tell you, <laughs> oh, you don't have any skills. Sorry, like you can't contribute today. That's absolutely the not the way we want to be approaching things. And so, um, yeah, at mobile skills crew events, for instance, there, first of all, there's a variety of roles. So if you want to be out there, you know, really working hard physical uh, work, then by all means, 
that, that's fantastic. But if you're the kind of person who would rather lend a hand in the camp kitchen, because uh, all of our participants at those projects get um, free meals as well as a, a place to camp each night. So there's there's plenty of roles around base camp. You know, things as simple but also as important as checking in volunteers, uh, staffing the, the, the greeter station, things like that. Yeah, there, there's a variety of roles for people of all, you know, interests in terms of physical versus non-physical work and also try and accommodate all ages uh, as best we can. Um, so people bringing families with children, um, we always try and make that a, a meaningful experience for every member of the family. No, that that's great. And it sounds like, like you said, there's a role for anyone who wants to participate, get involved, and somehow, you know, be able to support all of the work that's being done on the trail, either via, mm -hmm. you know, directly doing the maintenance themselves or supporting the people who are and, um, and coordinating all of that effort um, that goes into that, you know, close to, uh, what was it, close to 82,000 hours that, yep. that are put forth. So what are some things that are coming up on the Ice Age Trail this year? Um, well, National Trails Day is on uh, um, June 1st, I believe. And so we do have some some events around uh, National Trails Day. And then certainly a full slate again of uh, those large scale mobile skills crew volunteer projects. And then uh, aside from that, just heading to our website and checking our calendar. That's where we put announcements regarding events that are kind of trail-wide in nature, like those mobile skills crew uh, volunteer projects or other events organized out of our headquarters office here. Additionally, all of our 20 uh, volunteer chapters are able to post their events on our on our website calendar. So hey, is someone having a, uh, in my area, having a full moon hike anytime soon, you could, you could uh, hop on our website and, and check for things like that. So yeah, the website is iceagetrail.org. So make sure okay. you go out and visit. And um, are there also opportunities to be members of the Ice Age Trail Alliance? Yes, we're a, we are a membership uh, organization. Uh, membership is uh, $50 a year. And uh, we do have a, a nice newsletter um, that we do three times a year for our members. And then, uh, of course, we welcome, if you just want to toss in something as kind of a one-time gift to support our work, we, we certainly welcome um, kind of non-membership general donations as well. I will definitely, I can point the listeners to the website and also some of the programs that we talked about in this um, episode as well, so they can take a look at some of the resources that you do have available out there. So for, oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say on our website, we, we we try and make the key topics hard to miss. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a, a big yellow button that says donate. There's a big yellow button that says uh, volunteer and then prominent links to the calendar and then um, our store as well where the guidebooks are available. And the that online trail map that I mentioned is uh, under the Explore the Trail uh, tab on the site. Okay, awesome. So 
I want to thank you for coming on today and for, you know, sharing some information about the trail. I think um, listeners will be, you know, obviously encourage them to go out there either to look at the resources, uh, become a member and to, you know, explore the Ice Age Trail a little more. So thank sure. you. And I just want to say one more thing for people who are thinking of, uh, especially coming from someplace kind of far away and are uh, thinking of doing the whole trail, but perhaps a little discouraged by the fact that it's roughly half complete and a lot of connecting routes. The other thing I see remarkably often in those thousand miler applications is people saying that they were pleasantly surprised by the roadwalks, um, you know, which is kind of a triumph of low expectations. But that's the place where you get the trail magic, where you're you're out of water and some person who happens to live along one of those roads sees you walking by and in, invites you to, to get some water and then suddenly they're giving you cookies and offering you a place to stay uh, uh, for the night. So um, yeah, I would say if those seem discouraging at first, yeah, it is true that uh, walking along roads is maybe not your first idea of a good time, but there might be more to that than you might might think at first uh, on the positive side. And it sounds like there's a lot of resources. You have some um, thousand miler FAQs. You have some pointing to, you know, questions they may have. And there's a Facebook community out there for long distance yep. hikers as well. I encourage listeners to ask the questions. Um, go out there, look at the resources, and uh, maybe talk to some of some of the other hikers who have either done sections or done um, a through hike. Yep. Thanks for listening today. Check out the show notes for resources to the Ice Age Trail and ways that you can get in touch with the Ice Age Trail Alliance and follow them on social media. Until next time, see you on the trail.